and we're fortunate enough on our team to have an entomologist who does our fly tying instruction. And so we have an opportunity to go down to the water and flip rocks and get bugs and then sit on shore and talk about them. And if we're lucky enough to get the different stages of a hatch, because you don't think about that. All you think about is that little fly. Going, what in the heck does that look like? And, and why would I catch a fish with it? Until you, you look at the flies next to the actual bug that it's supposed to be like. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Today, we've got on the program Dana Chambers. Now, Dana is the co-program coordinator of Casting for Recovery out of Washington State. Dana, thanks so much for taking the time today. Oh, thank you for being willing to do this for us. This is amazing. Well, absolutely. So you you and I crossed paths at the Linwood uh, Fly Show a few weeks back. And I just thought, you know what, this might be a great opportunity to kind of exchange cards and, and, and see what your organization is about, all about. And we'll get into all for uh, casting for recovery in just a moment. I always like to kind of start the show off, Dana, if you don't mind, kind of get uh, personal right off the bat. How did you come to discover fly fishing? Um, you know, I grew up fishing, not fly fishing. I grew up from the time I was six years old going uh, trout fishing, um, deep sea fishing, Um, with my father, my uncle, and my brother up in Canada. Okay. Um, So I have a fishing background, but didn't pick up a fly rod until the retreat that I was a participant in in 2016. Okay. So not even that long ago, 2016. Now, tell me about your journey and kind of how you came um, to the retreat. Um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in December of 2013 and spent 2014 going through, well, two surgeries in 14 and one in 15 and then chemo and radiation and and all of that in 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2015, I started as a survivor, you start hearing of swag that you can get or freebies that you can have. And I've stumbled across this program at the infusion center where I had my chemotherapy. And so I thought, oh, cool, a free weekend. So I applied. Um, It is a lottery-type choosing system. So they throw all the people who um, put an application in a hat, and they draw out 14 names. Um, And I was fortunate enough to get drawn the first time through. And I, at the time, I thought, you know, this is going to be fun. I get to go on a free weekend. 
meet some new people, and learn how to fly fish. Right. Well, my story now kind of tells what happened because I did that weekend, and it took me less than a month afterwards to fill out the application to be a volunteer. That's awesome. So, and, t- and now I'm here. Tell me what it meant to you to be surrounded with other women that are going through or have been through similar things. You know, I, I have surrounded myself with others and tried to help others that were going through it. I was very fortunate in my journey that I never got extremely sick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that my story was an easy one compared to others that didn't have it quite so easy. And you see that by spending a weekend with women that, that all stages, I mean, women that are currently going through it to women that have been survivors for 20 years. It, the program doesn't care how long it's been for you. So it, it's, it means a lot to see a woman there that's been surviving this terrible cancer for 20 years, it gives those of us who at the time, for me, it was two years, gives us hope that we're going to have a life going forward because you don't know you spend every day of your life worried that the cancer is going to come back. Right. So to see somebody who survived that long, you figure, oh, you know, I've got some hope here. I can actually live life and enjoy life, but... Sure. With a new meaning. I think it probably, I would imagine it means a lot to be around others that have gone through similar trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, nobody's journey is the same. Right. You could have the exact same diagnosis, but your journey is totally different than the other person's. Well, what do you think it is, Dana, that, like about fly fishing that, that, that helps like I, I, it comes up a lot actually in the podcast is kind of fly fishing as a form of therapy and it seems to come in so many different modes what do you think it is about the uh, pastime that that brings that well i mean obviously the pastime of being out on the water and in nature and the beauty that we have around us mm-hmm. but it, it's even deeper when you know that you almost lost that the ability to spend time out in it. But as far as the physical side of it, the motion, the gentle motion of casting is really good for the upper body of a woman who's had surgery. Right. Because we lose our range of motion. Um, and depending on the severity of your surgery, I lost 16 lymph nodes, 10 on one side and six on the other. And so you lose a lot and you lose strength, and that gentle casting, it really does help the upper body, and it helps even more if you can do it with both hands and not just do it. For me, I'm right-handed, but I found that I could cast with my left if I needed to. Ah. And I did because I didn't have I didn't have the strength to continue the fishing with the right arm. I'd be stopping 15 minutes into it. But I could switch, go back and forth. Well, you know, and I think that's always a sign of a good caster, too, because you don't get as tired at the end of the day. And I can't imagine, actually, to be honest with you, I'm right-handed. I can't imagine casting with my left hand. That must have taken some getting used to. You just have to think about what you're doing. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is a little a little odd feeling, but it is possible. Especially when, as you know, being a fly fisherman, you're trying to get into a spot under the brush. Well, you can't do it doing with one arm. You have to switch and kind of do it with the other one. So, so maybe you could take us through, Dana, kind of how, how this started. So you, you were fortunate enough to be one of, I think you said, 14 people that were selected for this, this retreat. Um, where did you go, and, and what did that look like? So our every year... Sometimes they'll go to the same place more than once in a row. Um, my year was we stayed at a place called Whistling Jack Lodge, which is just over the Chinook Pass in Washington State. It's on the Bumping River, but unfortunately we weren't able to fish there. It's not conducive to fishing in that area. So we were taken to some private ponds where the owners hadn't fed the fish for a couple of days. So we were able to spread out around the ponds, and as we're casting, he would walk around and he would throw feed in right in where we're casting. So everybody caught something. Right. Um, The last two years, we were at a place called Canyon River Ranch, right on the Yakima River between Ellensburg and Yakima. And there again, fishing was not any good for the last two years, but we were able to be in the river, but nobody caught anything. So that that part's not so good. Yeah, but you know, I think it's just, I mean, we've all had days that you get out on the water and you don't necessarily get into fish, but that doesn't make them a bad day, does it? No, it doesn't. Kind of like golfing. <laughs> a good day on the, or bad day on the golf course is better than a, than a day at work. So True enough. Yeah. I get what you're saying there. Um, But when you're learning how to fly fish, catching a fish makes it even more exciting mm -hmm. to move forward with it. Oh, absolutely. The the minute you feel that tug, then you know what it's all about, right? Yes. Yeah, right on. So if somebody's listening to this program and saying, well, maybe casting for recovery is is something I'd I'd like to look into, how, how would they go about doing that? So they can go to the national website which is castingforrecovery.org. Washington has its own website, which is castingforrecovery.org backslash WA, W-A. And you can, going to the national site, you're going to get more information about the program. The Washington site's going to give you more information about actual our actual retreat. Right. So that would be where to start. Okay. Now, if somebody wants to maybe donate to Casting for Recovery? They can do that on the Washington site. There is a donate button on there, so they can donate, and that would go straight to Washington. They go to the national site. It would go to national. And that also, in a roundabout way, benefits us because they do support us with gear and insurance, and they take care of any taxes because we are a 501c3. Um, so they handle all of that stuff and then be our support for our program. So the retreats are usually two and a half, two and a half days. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, we start on Friday um, afternoon mm-hmm. and we are finished by Sunday afternoon. And just for clarity, so it's open to basically all women uh, as far as, as far as any stage breast cancer or, or full recovery. Correct. Yes. As long as you've had breast cancer or just been diagnosed all the way up to 
50 years out, which would be amazing. Um, yeah, anywhere in between any stage of treatment, it doesn't matter. Being that you kind of got into it, and I think you said 2016, maybe you can speak to what is it like for somebody new to fly fishing to get into? Is, explain that journey a little bit. Um, you know, you're not really sure what you're getting into when you go. Um, you meet the women, you meet the volunteers, who most of them are survivors as well. You get to put on this really ugly jumpsuit kind of a thing that is baggy in the legs and you can't hardly sit down or squat. And these big boots that make <laughs> make you feel like you're going to walk on the moon in them. And so you put on all this gear and then at our retreats, we're told to go and there's all these fly rods sitting out on a table and we're told, you know, you go pick one out. So we go pick them out and then we go outside and we have, they teach us how to put them together and we stand around and we get our picture taken. And then it's hard to explain the feeling when you're told that that fly rod is yours to keep. Wow. We've been blessed with a couple that live here in Washington state that have been making fly rods for our program by hand for years. That's awesome. Uh, they ship them to us in 20, 25 rods at a time once a year. And so we're able to pay it forward and give the women their own fly rod, which of course you get the rod. We provide them the use of a reel for the weekend and they learn how to fish. Well, then of course you get done with the weekend. And if you're hooked on fly fishing, then you go out and you buy your own uh, reel and your own chest waders and your own boots and your own <laughs> flies. And you know it goes from yeah, there. Yeah, we've all been through that. That's that's great. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, as far as instruction when you're on these retreats, who's who's doing, like, are you looking to guides or who who's helping out on the instruction? Or is it former um, gals that have been in the program? Well, um, former gals, yes. Uh, some not through the years. We've had many different people, um, but they they have to be certified casting instructors. It can't just be somebody off the street. So um, we have certified casting instructors that have, they come to the weekend. They spend all day Saturday off and on doing casting classes teaching you how to cast when to stop on the backswing when to stop going forward and then on the day we get to go fish they kind of just watch and for those places where we're on a river and we're going to fish in the river we have what we call river helpers we have 14 of them so that each participant has someone with them at all times, not only for safety, but for guidance and to help them tie flies on because it's not, um, you only have two and a half days to learn how to tie knots and stuff. So it's nice to have somebody there. Those people are usually either professional, they're guides, or they're just people that are part of fly fishing clubs in the state and love to support the program and be there to help the women. 
yeah, I can't, there's a lot to learn. It's, and it's great to have that support. I'm sure you need it on the water, but, um, I would imagine that a lot of people, once they get out there, see, you know, just even just once you start casting on a river and things are a little quiet, everything kind of tends to disappear, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Kind of like all your cares are, are gone and it's just you and your fly rod and the water and hopefully a fish on the hook. We're chatting today with Dana Chambers, co-program coordinator of uh, Casting for Recovery out of Washington State. Uh, I'm curious from a personal level, Dana, who's been the biggest influence on your fly fishing? Um, the staff, the volunteers that were, we have an amazing team of women that who care so much for the participants there, we support each other. So if, I mean, we learn briefly how to tie flies, but if you sit at a fly fishing show, which as you saw, our table was right across from our fly tires. Mm -hmm. So you kind of go over and you watch these guys and it's amazing to watch them tie a fly. And then you, you start to maybe get that bug like I did last year when I went online and ordered my own fly tying kit <laughs> and was told to tie woolly buggers until I didn't want to tie them anymore just for that practice. So, you know, we just, we support each other. And I have a cousin who is an avid fly fisherman. He took me out for the first time on the Yakima River. We didn't do very good. But he did tell me that I got a lot of practice and my cast will catch fish if they're there to be caught. So that kind of support, don't, don't get discouraged if you don't catch a fish your first time out. Keep going because it's not always about catching the fish. It's about what you're doing, where you are, and the scenery around you. Exactly. And you know, that it comes up a lot on, on the podcast. There's so many different aspects of fly fishing and you just mentioned it yourself like it's one thing to be on the river with a fly rod learning the basics it's another thing to start hitting the the fly tying vice and learning that and let's not Mm -hmm. even get into the entomology i mean it's the the amount of information that you can take in i think that's what appeals um to a a lot of people in the sport would you agree with that i do i do and we're fortunate enough on our team to have an entomologist who does our fly tying instruction and so we have an opportunity to go down to the water and flip rocks and get bugs and then sit on shore and talk about them. And if we're lucky enough to get the different stages of a hatch, because you don't think about that. All you think about is that little fly. And going, what in the heck does that look like? And, and why would I catch a fish with it? Until you, you look at the flies next to the actual bug that it's supposed to be like. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah, the pieces of the puzzle kind of start fitting, don't they? Yeah, they do. I mean, but there's so many terms and Mm -hmm. flies out there. You go into any fly shop and you look at their cases of flies and it's overwhelming. So you have to rely on those guides and those fly fishing stores to help you pick the flies out for where you're going to go fish. I think it's really neat, too, when you first get going, you don't really necessarily always realize the different stages, the life cycles of these bugs. So just because uh, you're fishing a dry doesn't mean they're not taking that same insect underwater as a, a larva or a pupa. Yeah, exactly. A lot to learn. Tell me a little bit about your uh, your fly tying, because it sounds like you, you got into that uh, what not that long back. So h- how's that going for you? 
Um, well, you know, I, life gets in the way, and I have a lot of other things that I do in my life that don't allow me to sit and tie like I would like to. But I, you know, meeting some of these guys at these fly fishing shows, you develop a rapport with them. So last year, I was at another show after I'd bought my vice and was sitting with that same entomologist, and she was helping me tie some flies. And one of these guys that that ties for a living was there, and he saw, and I told him what I was learning how to do, and he starts bringing me all this free fly tying stuff, feathers, you know, all of the things that you would need, hooks, to tie flies. And it, that's the kind of support that's, that kind of pushes you to continue to, to do it. I saw him at the Linwood show this year, and he says, how's that fly tying going? It's like, well, I'm not too good right now, but I'll get at it. Wintertime's the best time because you can't do, be doing much else in the winter. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's what I find too. I mean, we're, we're north of the, I'm north of the border here in, in British Columbia. And I'll tell you what, uh, if I couldn't tie in the winter, I think I'd lose my mind because it gets you thinking, it gets you thinking about what worked last year, what, what might work this year, what kind of new patterns can I, can I come up with? And it's just a nice way to kind of, it completes the circle of the season in my mind. I agree. And I think what is, would for me even be cooler is if I tied some flies and I went out and caught a fish on a fly that I tied. Yeah. I think that would be the ultimate for me. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. I'm young. It will. I can, I can keep going. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm curious too, uh, Dana, if you have any, I always like like to ask my guests this question. Do you have any crazy fishing stories from, uh, from either any of the retreats or just any time you spent personally on the water? Um, I wouldn't say any crazy ones. Um, I've fished on my own five or six times, and I think the largest fish I caught was probably an eight-incher. Right. Uh, at the retreats, just seeing the look on the women's faces when they do catch a fish, me being one of them when we were fishing those ponds, it's it's amazing. You wouldn't think that catching a fish like that would be that exciting but it is, especially when you're doing it for the first time. Now, for me personally, I probably won't be fishing much in the rivers. Um, I'm personally going to go out and try float tubes because I blew my knee out in a river in July of last year Hmm. fishing. I slipped on the slimy rocks and went down, landed in about six inches of water, which was no big deal. took me about five minutes to work the pain away. Got up and started fishing again when I realized that, no, I can't. And I ended up tearing a minor tear in my meniscus. So I don't know if I'll have the guts to get out there and and fish it again for fear of, I haven't had to have surgery on it. I don't want to. Yeah, I hear you there. Well, still water's great for that, right? Because you kind of, I don't know, and even if you're fishing out of either a aluminum boat or there's so many options now with the, the pontoon mm-hmm. boats, the float tubes, and that's pretty easy on the knees for the most part. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I'm a, I used to swim from the time I was seven years old, so being out on the water doesn't, doesn't give me any apprehension. So I will be borrowing a float tube this year because I want to go out and try it myself on the water and float in the, you know, a river in a boat, drift boat would be okay as well. 
I mean, you're you're in such a good spot there, Washington State. You've got so many opportunities. Have, have you got out for any steelhead yet? Is that on the list? Um, you know, I I haven't. Um, I went out on the sound with a guide, and we did catch a couple of sea run cutthroat, um, not big ones, but you know, we hooked them in still water, which was which was fun to be able to hook a fish. Having grown up fishing, I know what that tug feels like and how exciting it is to actually catch one when you're fishing with a barbless hook. It makes it even better if you can get it in the net. Growing up, we didn't do barbless. So if you got them hooked, you, you pretty much landed them. You didn't have to worry about it. But right. um, being careful and not pulling too hard and being in too much of a hurry is is hard to do when you're excited about having hooked a fish. Dana, if there's something about fly fishing that you could change, is there anything that you'd like to see change in our sport? Uh, make it cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you can go zero to 50, you know, it, it's a full range of costs. It, it's really hard to say any one thing that I'd want to change because if you do it right, you catch fish. You don't have to spend a ton of money to do it, and to be out on the water is free. Right. Yeah, you know, that's really well said. That that actually hasn't come up, but it's something that I think for years, too, fly fishing was kind of this exclusive. It had a bit of that exclusiveness to it, and I'm glad to see that go in the way of the dodo bird, to be quite honest, Um, (laughs) because you don't need to spend $1,000 on a rod to have fun. No, not at all. And like you say, uh, you've got, it sounds like you got some really good people involved with your organization and, and those, I, you got me thinking about those, those folks that keep building the rods for you and basically giving them away. That's, I mean, if somebody wants to help out as far as donations to, uh, casting for recovery, what's the best way to do that? Um, they can go to the Washington website, um, and donate monetary funds because it costs us it varies by where we take the women and how much those particular places charge us for the rooms and the food. But it can cost anywhere between ten and 20000 for a weekend away. Um, that's the food and, and the lodging and the insurance and the gear because we have the chest waders and the reels that are shipped to us by national we have to pay for that. Um, and it, it all adds up. And so monetary donations are a huge part of our program because without the funds, we can't do our retreat. We do have people who donate gear, used gear, um, new gear. We're auctioning off, or not auctioning, excuse me. We are raffling off a handmade bamboo rod um, this year and, uh, for us down here in the States, well, you guys too, uh, autographed Russell Wilson football. <laughs> um, so, but they were both donated to us. So whatever we get for them is gravy. Sure. Um, we have guys that tie flies for us. We have enough flies to last this for another 20 years, which having said 20 this year will be our 20th retreat. Washington's been doing this for 20 years. Um, So that's kind of an important milestone for us. Mm -hmm. 
How this do, year. I'm curious how how you get the word out about casting for recovery. Now, I, I, obviously, we ran it into each other at a fly show, so that's that's one way which you're doing it. Um, are are mm-hmm. you doing a lot of shows, Dana? We do the Linwood show. We do one in Ellensburg. Uh, we had our entomologist. She did two on the eastern side of our state this year. I go and I work a fly casting event that one of our local fly fishing shops hosts in Seattle. And we have a booth and information and word of, you know, word of mouth uh, podcast. This is our first podcast. So that helps get the word out. Having our brochure in different doctor's offices also helps the women who go to the retreats talking about it to their friends and family. That's the only way we can do it. Social media mm-hmm. is is also a big thing. Facebook. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, today, Dana. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to cover today? Um, no, just the retreats themselves and, and what the women get during that weekend. We have medical staff and psychosocial volunteers who meet with them and help talk to them about the more personal side, the mental side of the, the cancer right. battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the weekend, when you've learned how and we get to give them a certificate of participation and send them home, you just hope that they go home and they get inspired and they go out and they buy that reel to go with that rod that they've got and they continue to use it. Yeah, well, I can't think of any better place to start healing than than on a river or uh, a body of water. And uh, Dana, thanks again for for taking the time and and good luck with uh, uh, this season. I know you guys are uh, probably things probably when do, do things start getting busier for you as we get through winter? Or is now quiet? Well, our retreat last year was the first weekend in October. So during we kind of debrief, and then during the holidays we kind of just put it all on the back burner. And then after the first of the year, it's like, okay, now we have to start seriously thinking about our fundraising and getting the word out there Mm -hmm. and raising funds. And then our retreat this year is the last weekend in September. Um, We'll be at a lodge in Eastern Washington and the ladies will get to learn how to catch fish out of the ponds at a fish hatchery. So, We'll be gearing up for this year's retreat here in the next month or two and nailing down our team members and stuff. But, you know, if anybody wants or wants more information, um, wants to get involved, I do have an email that we use and it's, um, Washington, or excuse me, WA for Washington, casting for recovery at gmail.com. And I, Matt, I, Keep an eye on that email account and any questions or support or that kind of thing. I'm happy to answer questions. Excellent. Dana, thanks for all you do. Uh, Really appreciate it, and you have yourself a great evening. Thank you. You too. That's Dana Chambers, a co-program coordinator for Casting for Recovery Washington. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. 
email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.